Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Just sticking with the same old headphones, keeping it humble. We had some tech issues before the show. Someone was very proud of their fancy headphones. Whatever. I don't want to talk about it. And they didn't receive sound. That's a little rough. Also joining us. Director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Were they AirPods? Because I've heard those are the cool ones. Those are the cool ones. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, a man wearing a humble, reliable, trusty set of headphones, Lee Younger. I already said I don't want to talk about it, Glenn. <laughs> Especially with Glenn. Benny? Man, right. you can't show your neck at all on this show. The yeah. headphones are tearing this podcast apart. <laughs> It's, it's rough. You know, it's the it, it's the headphones of many colors. Oh, wow. wow. And now Lee's in a hole. Okay. <laughs> so, you know. There's goat blood involved. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. I'd watch that musical. Sure, absolutely. Brought to you by Beats. <laughs> Lee and his headphones of many colors. Well, before we get into the show today, we must start... With a few shout outs. Oh. We we got a love I got a lovely message from uh Miss Charisse in Jamaica. Woo! Who has been listening and requested uh, official superfan status. Judges, we're of course happy to grant. Granted official granted. superfan status. Officially and granted. I do believe that may be our first official uh Caribbean superfan status granted. Oh. Wow. So I... if you're if you're in that part of the world and you want to get on the train, come on. Yeah. We'd love to we'd love to have you. And we also had, in an unprecedented sense, a little say that game night. Yes, we wow. did. Jedrick, would you care to share what happened to the people? I, I can indeed. Long-term South Carolina represent, representative superfan David Sheerdewan and his lovely wife um, noted superfans. We're actually, even now, Glenn has a soda pop in a koozie that is from South Carolina. So we're, we're, we're really Piggly, repping that from the Piggly Wiggly. Wiggly. Uh, David, and this is a true thing, um, in addition to his computer science skills, is a noted game designer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he, he actually writes and builds and designs tabletop games. Um, he's, he's amazing at it. And we are amateur uh, role-playing enthusiasts around here. Your right. your D&Ds, and, and I wouldn't say really your advanced D&Ds, because none of us are that good at it. Mm. But, uh, but we enjoy it. And David, in a moment of extreme generosity that I'm sure he must have regretted at this point, because I can't <laughs> emphasize enough how not good at this stuff we are, had offered via the Skype or the FaceTime oh. to... Um, run a gaming session for us. Wow. Right. Um, and so we did that this past weekend. It was fantastic. It was amazing. Uh, David is crazy good at that stuff. Even with us being rank amateurs and beginners, we had we made it through. Uh, we completed right. the adventure. We had a great time. Uh, but so I think at this point, I think we can grant basically a tenure level super fan status oh, yeah. to wow. David and Lauren Sheridan. Wow. Wow. Was there some kind of D&D style um, <laughs> level we can give them? Some kind of super fan mage? They can be, I literally yeah, so was thinking the word mage. Dice. And I don't know anything yeah. about it. That was amazing. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Do, do we have any dice around? I mean, we can roll oh. and find out what happens. Yeah, That's that's another thing I'd like to put out to the listener. You know, we, we've established the super fans. Yeah, and we you may know if you listen around, we don't have fans. We only have super fans. Right, correct. Um, No one casually enjoys this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I I would argue no one enjoys it on any level. But there's some people (laughs) who are dedicated to it, and that's a superhuman effort if ever there was one. 
But if you would like to be, you know, a mage, uh, a vice comp, oh. a field marshal, you know, feel free to give yourself a title. Just sure. inform us and we'll, we'll, we'll give it the thumbs up or thumbs down. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. Certainly a thing we can do. And we move out of the shout outs and into a bit of a celebration. Mm. It, it ties into what we're saying there because I'm forced to declare an anniversary emergency. Whoa. What? Emergency? Is that emergency that I have two anniversaries and can't figure them out? See previous episode about me getting double married? No, it's yeah. not. Okay. No. This is a different kind of emergency. That one's coming in October and November of next year. <laughs> this, this emergency is that as this post, gentlemen, this is the 400th episode. For real? Oh, this here say that. This is say that number 400. That's a lot of us. You just made me a so lot. tired. Yeah, it's yeah. 400. These, you know, earlier they were shorter, but I'd say we probably averaged just under an hour. We we also had like bonus episodes and best ofs and stuff. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of us in people's ears. Yeah. Wow. People probably, probably shouldn't, you know, like, I think they just, I think the the mood was, yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but we just yeah. kept going. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they said it couldn't be done. Well, they said it shouldn't be done. And they were right. But, but cast your mind back to those heady days of 2012 when we started doing this regularly. <laughs> yeah. What, what, where did we think we would be some 400 episodes in? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Did this show seriously begin in 2012? It began in 2011. Wow. wow. We recorded like four pilot episodes when I still lived in Tennessee. Wow. That All are right. never to see the light of day again. <laughs> okay. They have been scrubbed and expunged from even the Podbean feed. <laughs> um, and then we, but we had like four and we just kind of sat on them because we didn't really know what we were doing with it yet. Okay. Then when I took this job and moved it here in 2012, we started doing it regularly. Yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. Some that, people, some of these people, have been with us the whole time. Wow, that's that's mind boggling. I, it I is. can't imagine you. anybody listening to all four hundred of these things. Oh well, no, there should be have. some kind of USDA warning against that. Yeah, but here's what it is: we have the best fans of. That's anyone. pretty true. That's, that's true. definitely true. That's, that's actually like you know because I I would completely pander. Sure. I, I mean, like you say, one, two, three, pander. I'm ready. You're ready to pander. But we've met a ton of people yeah. who listen to the show. They're all cool. Like, yeah, they're amazing. We, we've met a lot of the people from, that listen to the podcast. Yeah. And some in other countries when we're traveling abroad and stuff. And they've all been like super cool. Totally. Because so we have the best, we have the coolest fans. Like if you could just have like a battle, and that's how I view most sure, things in life is a battle. Sure. If you could have a battle of who's the coolest, like right. pick any other podcast. Right. And we go up against them. Right. Ours are way cooler. Sure. I mean, This American Life has like total way more fans, but they're all kind of, you know, they can't move in those jeans. <laughs> well, they, there's a lot of hemp shoes. You yeah. Know, you get those wet and. Yeah, that's gonna bog you down. Yeah, yeah. Just they're they're not an aggressive people, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Really. Yeah. The Joe Rogan guys again, a lot of them, and maybe a little more aggressive, but they're really, really high. Well, there is that. Like you give them an address, they're not gonna find it. Right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. I think it would be cool to think back over the 400 episode at the greatest say that memes, like okay, like the you know, for instance, uh, Pope you like a hurricane. And sure. uh, yeah, people enjoyed that. And uh, you know the, they they got a new show out about the two popes. Yeah, they sure. they, they should have added the third one in there. 
That's right. Good Pope, bad Pope. Yeah. <laughs> and the, Man, they ripped us off. And uh, of course, you know, the monkey strength of Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think there's just a lot of great stuff for us all to kind of look back on in a kind of like a 90s era sitcom style, like episode 100. You just, you know, you just have like a, 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 a compilation set. Sure. Now right. that's what I call say that. Yeah. There it is. There it yeah. is. I like it. I like it. I, I think the, the monkey strong thing gets less and less funny as it becomes a thing Joe Biden might actually say into a microphone. <laughs> right. Well, there is as we that. Go on in life. I think the most enduring legacy has to be uh, the robot cyborg army. Sure, yeah, yeah. that's really you know we've with, with Kanye that kept coming back. That was yeah, and the and just the closet full of different Jeds that are just on hangers sure. waiting for them to pull them down and and don them. There yeah. are many Jeds. Yeah, there's definitely yeah. many many Jeds. One we we're lucky that Bible numerology Jed is contained to this podcast. Because if you're listening to this on the week come out, we also have our another program of the Bridge podcast. Okay. Uh, if you want to check that out, that's songs uh, that like uh, Jed and Lee and a lot of our friends make kind of worship stuff. We do a couple of those, and it's a sermon from the from the Bridge service that either Glenn or I gave, and you know, a nice little benediction our friend Paul Schroeder helps out with. But uh, we recently released number uh, episode three thirty three of that. So we're halfway to evil. Halfway to perdition. <laughs> oh, no. This Bible numerology, Jed, you spoke his name and evoked him. Well, hello. <laughs> Someone you didn't want to it's, be It's here. like Beetlejuice. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have to say it once. That was also... <laughs> yeah, if you say it three the times... more intrusive Beetlejuice. <laughs> because of the numerology. But I was also thinking this recently, because we, we took the kids to see the, the new Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and of course, spoiler alert, they bring back the Palpatine, and I have to think that's because of the popularity of this podcast. They had to bring back the actual Palpatine to compete with Palpatine Jet. Absolutely. Oh, that's right. J.J. Right. Abrams listens. We yeah. know. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it is true, though, that I figured by episode 400 yeah. that probably we would be well on our way to total podcast dominance. Yes, absolutely. Because, like, you listen to other podcasts, and it's like, yeah, that's kind of cute. Sure. Then you listen to our podcast, and it's like, whoa, whoa. whoa. Right. It, it, the people say "whoa." I don't know. If they say it in that tone, like "whoa, whoa, whoa." <laughs> whoa Glenn, you figured it would be private jets, yeah, Rolls Royces, yeah, caviar. That's right. You yeah. know, kind of. I kind of figured it'd be like, uh, you know, red carpet. Yeah. Stuff. Like you know, you go to those award shows and they give you like a just a a goodie bag. Yeah, it's like a bag full of free, awesome, like iPod right. in there. Right. You know? Yes. So, uh, like, where's my where's my free iPod? Where's your iPod bag? Yeah. You know what, Glenn? You are in luck. This is a true fact. Matt recently got me a, a what is new to me, sure. a, a new iPod. Okay. And because I love you and I want you to be happy, I will put it in a bag and give okay. it to you. Well, sure. that would be very nice. <laughs> the yeah. hardest part was finding an iPod. <laughs> yes. Could you? Then I gave them $10, and now it's mine. <laughs> One thing that's funny about this show is, from the jump, I think that we were all thinking, sweet, sweet podcast cash. Oh, that's yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, before uh-huh. even anyone was listening. I do wonder how quickly we uh, how quickly we had emergencies arise on this podcast. Like, what episode did 
emergencies begin to be a thing? That's a great question. It was in the first dozen. Wow. I remember what the first emergency was. Oh, wow. And no, it must have been before was that, because it, it was one of the ones we recorded in Tennessee. Was it you being single? No, it was Glenn not getting introduced early <laughs> enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes I sense. Used to, I basically, to let people inside, I introduce the people just by who's sitting closest to me. We're right. around, around the table. Glenn's to my right, so I'm, I'm right-handed. I just go from me to Glenn. Jed's here, and then Lee's on the Skype. Right. But the first few were recorded, Lee and I were in the same room, and Jed and Glenn were on the Skype. So I'd say, hi, I'm, I'm Matt King, your host. And I'd introduce Lee first. That, right. that was a problem. And then Glenn or Jed. I did that about literally three times. Right. And that was what that was the first thing Glenn declared an emergency. <laughs> well, I think if we look back to when we first started this in our wildest dreams, we thought maybe, you know, we'd get to do we we would just become part of the, the Christian media landscape, you know. The be, what? I'm, that's what I'm leading to. Ah! Like maybe there'd be book, Christian book deals and Christian radio appearances and you know, get on the the big Christian magazines and the circuits, and none of those things exist anymore. Yeah. So, um, in a way, what we did did we kill we it all? The show was bring everything else down to us, <laughs> right. which I say essentially mission accomplished. Well, it's kind of like when you're in a post-apocalyptic hellscape, sure, and like you move into yeah, the White are. House because there's nobody else in. Sure, there. it's empty, and you're like oh, you sit in the Oval Office, like I'm the president. Sure, that's where we are with Christian media. Yeah, <laughs> we're, the most, we're the most legit ones. Prove us wrong. Sure, Let's find right. some money more. And on that, we declare emergency off. And now that we're outside of the emergency segment, we can <sighs> earnestly express a deep and sincere thank you to those of us, yeah. to those of you who have cycled us through those these many hundreds of episodes. Woo. We have we have had the joy of meeting a lot of you online, real life. A bunch of listeners of the show have come to the bridge. Folk, we've. Uh, Done videos for folks' weddings. We've, you know, had birth announcements sent to us, all sorts of amazing stuff. We feel privileged and joy to be a small part of your week and your life. So thank you for that. And if you'd like a little more of us in your week and in your life, in your month even, you can sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month. It's the number one way over the years that folks who like the show have supported the work we do. Again, it's only $8, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We're going to jump to our first question here. Hang on this all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode descriptions and click on the links there. Speaking of a post-apocalyptic hellscape, <laughs> we go to our first question. It comes in anonymously and says, So, I know the Bible says no one knows when the world will end. But an entire continent is on fire, and World War III is in the news every day. So when people start talking about it being the end times, it kind of sticks to me. How can I calm my friends, a very honest parenthetical, and myself down about this? And I think an incredibly timely question. And Lee, where do we kick off with this? Yeah, this is a really cool question. One thing that's really interesting that I never thought that I would be a part of something where I could actually say... Uh, the next sentence I'm going to say, which is to those people who love us and are listening to us in Australia, we're praying for you. I, yeah, yes, I, no doubt. I never thought that would be a thing that I would ever be able to say with any kind of, uh, you know, with, with, <laughs> with any kind of accuracy. Um, we do love you. We are praying for you. We, uh, we want to know how we can help. Um, and, um, we are honored to be your family. Um, so thanks for 
Thanks for tuning in. Um, I, you know, this, our world is such a Charlie Foxtrot right now. And in so many unbelievable ways, it's kind of hard to get your, your head around it. Um, what's really, I don't know if comforting is the right word, but I, I think in some way it is, is that, you know, you flip through the scriptures and you realize um, the the scriptures speak to this moment. Um, as you're saying that, you know, there's there's this place in Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus talks about all of the things that you're mentioning. He talks about the natural disasters. He talks about the earthquakes. He talks about fires. He talks about, uh, he, you know, it's a very famous quote at this point, uh, wars and rumors of wars. Um, he's building this case for, um, it's in this passage that, that you quote about how he says, you know, nobody knows when the end is coming, not even the Son of Man, but on the, only the Father knows. And in that chapter, Jesus makes a really interesting statement. And I think this is, uh, I think it's instructive for us. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of where my head and heart are in, in this moment, which is, he says, the love of most will grow cold. That's a really interesting thing to include in the middle of all of this, that there's all these wars and rumors of wars. There's earthquakes and natural disasters and fires, and it, it feels like the whole world is shaking you know, down to the, da- down to the studs, and everybody's wondering what's going to happen and, and freaking out. And like you're saying, how do, I, how do I calm myself down? How do I calm my friends down? And Jesus talks about this very thing and says, I want you to be ready for this. People's love is going to grow cold. I don't want yours to grow cold. I want you to keep your head in the game. Keep loving people. Keep praying with people. Keep hanging out with people and listening to their problems. One of the things that we know from the Lord's perspective is that you give a cup of cold water to somebody that's in need. You sit down and have coffee with somebody who's having a hard time. You meet somebody's physical needs. That, to him, is the most important thing that happened on the face of the planet at that time. Every single day, our Lord is calling you into things that he's got planned for you, that, that he's always had planned for you, um, conversations and, uh, and situations that he wants you to enter into, people that are hurting, people that are struggling, people that are having a hard time. And while the rest of the world, while people are getting cynical and while people's love is growing cold, I think our job is our love stays red hot. We stay right in the middle of serving people and meeting people's needs. Needs, And by the way, the very next chapter after Jesus talks about this, where everybody's worried about the end of the world, is Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You need to find prisoners. You need to find the poor. You need to find the people that nobody's paying attention to, and you need to care for them. That's, that's what I want you to do, because when you remember to visit prisoners, and when you remember to feed the poor, and the hungry, when you meet the needs of people who have needs, you are doing that for me. Um, there's a, it's just a really cool thing that Jesus has set up the poor and the needy and the least of these in this world to be his receivers of our love. That's super, super cool. And while the, the love of most is going to be growing cold in some ways, and people are getting cynical, and people are getting freaked out and all that stuff, if our love stays red hot, and we stay, uh, we stay watchful and ready for what he has for us to do. And we're meeting the needs of the people around us who need love, who need somebody just to listen to them. I was, I was listening recently to a, a sermon that Glenn gave at the bridge, and he was just talking about 
um, it was around Christmas, and he was talking about, um, you know, the season of giving, and what can you give? And, and I love the way that he said, if you just sit down and listen to somebody, you are giving them the best gift that you could possibly, how much do people just need to be listened to? And while the world's on fire, and people are hurting, and people are going crazy, if you can just make sure that your love stays red hot when other people's love is growing cold, I think that's where we need to keep our head. I think we need to look for people who are in need, meet those needs, and let him sort out when the end is going to be. We just keep on, we keep our hand to the plow, and we keep doing what he's asking us to do. Amen. Amen. That's a really fantastic place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to go to you here. You've been around a little while. Yeah. And to someone who hasn't, it may seem that... uh, Things are bad now. Yeah. And they were good before. Yeah. That's... That may not be the entirely accurate way to look at that, because people have been pitching the end of the world for quite a little while now. Yes, absolutely right. There's there's a lot of stuff that's been getting better all along. Uh, I passed the, the half century mark on my life. Every single year of my life has been the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, and that I'm saying according to Christians. Uh, in fact, when I was uh, a younger person, uh, there was a best-selling book that if you went into a bookstore, you would find it on, prominently on display when you walked in called The Late Great Planet Earth, written by a guy named Hal Lindsey. Oh, yes. Oh. And it was uh, how he knew the exact date of the end of the world. <laughs> Convenient. Uh, him cool. and Him and the father, as, yeah, as not Lee Jesus, quoted. Not only the father. Only the father and Hal Lindsey. Yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, April 12th, 1980, whatever it is. And uh, turns out, and this part will shock you, the end of the world didn't happen. Huh. Wait, what? So, uh, and you like think, well, that's Calculation the, error? Yeah, well, you think that's the end of that dude. Well, he wrote another book. And if you can imagine someone buying the second book this guy wrote. <laughs> I can. Was it called This Time for Sure? Something like that. I forgot to carry the one. Literally <laughs> pretty close to that. Oh, no. And then we got past that date. And this dude is somewhere talking the same stuff today. <laughs> sure. I have no doubt in my no mind. No doubt. So you, you forgive me. I don't want to sound cynical or dismissive. Um, also, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm old, so I'm ready to go home to be with Jesus. So there's that. But the reality is... Um, you you have a, a perspective uh, about this where Christians are sort of amping this up, mm-hmm. but they've been doing that all along. Well, I think there's also a very important point to be made here that every year along that journey, there were two or three things you could point to and say, Oh, for sure. Isn't yeah. this almost unbelievably crazy, and this must be an indication of something? Yeah, no no doubt about it. Yeah, and that's, that's how that stuff gets traction. I mean, there's some dudes to this day that just get on the TV— and that's that's their whole shtick is well something happened in Israel so that's it we're there you know and it's you, you but get, are we though well the thing is you can convince me of that once and then when it doesn't happen you you can't manipulate on that after that so um, I'm sorry that you're going through that but uh, I guess the good news is uh, it might be the last time we go through it so there's that. <laughs> uh, but here's the real thing. Um, here's how we do the work that we do, particularly at our bridge service, is that we feel as much as we can, we feel what is happening in that room. We try and 
uh, uh, read the emotions and and onboard them and take them into ourselves. So Jed will lead worship at the beginning of the service, and he'll come back to the back of the room, and Matt and I will be there if, if we both happen to be preaching on that night. And he'll say, you know, and every week it's different. He he might say, well, you know, they're they're very into it and they're very ready to go. Another week he might say, they're they were really slow to warm up. I think they're everybody in the room is just tired. Uh, he might come back and say, the new people are just weirded out, and the old people who've been here a while are all hyped up. So you got sort of two different halves of the room. So we're used to just feeling the feelings of everybody around us and using that as a way of getting ministry done. Um, right now is a bad time to be feeling the feelings of everyone around yeah. you because there's a lot of negativity that's happening there. What's the answer? The answer is you can't feel everything. That's just, you know, we, we can't. you will overload and you will explode and you'll be no good to the kingdom. The last thing that uh, Lee said when he handed this off is that we have to focus on what is it the Lord wants for us to do, okay? Uh, that means I have to care a great deal about that thing and get yeah. as much understanding and empathy and feel the feelings of what's happening on that little mission field that he has me. But everything else, I have to say, God, I need you to work with that. I need you to fix that. I hope that you call other people who can you can rely on but I need to focus on what you've asked me to focus on. So we have to give those things up to the Lord. We have to not carry that stress around with us. Uh, I get the same feeling that you do, which is someone should do something. You know, We can get overwhelmed with that thought. Uh, but the reality is often people are doing things that's not what the news spends a lot of time reporting on. Uh, so we might have a little bit of a distorted picture there. But at the end of the day, God is giving you something that you're supposed to be doing. Don't let the devil give you a hundred other things to be upset about and confuse what that Amen. is. That's a really, really strong point. And Jed, building exactly off what Glenn's talking about there, um, those hundred other things are going to be distractions. Yeah. That's what Glenn's describing there. And I wonder if part of the the kind of craziness, the idea that people have about kind of the end times, or are we living in the last days or whatever, is this idea that everything's going to go out the window. Right. And like the distractions will become the thing. Yeah. And that's not borne out in scripture and it's not borne out in reality, right? No, it's it's super not. I can recall that my youngest memories in church really, really are people talking about the end times. People trying to declare it's it's the end of the world. Um, uh, one of my favorites, again, that goes way, way back when I was really young, was the former head of Russia was a guy named Mikhail Gorbachev. And bless his heart, he actually had a, a quite large birthmark on his uh, on his forehead. And um, and I remember hearing in church on Sunday morning, that is the mark of the beast. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. Yeah. Did they try to make it? Like, did they try to, like... Telestrate the sixes into it, and they're like all meshed in there. Or? Matt, how dare you? Fair enough. Okay, so the the thing about it is whether it's Mikhail Gorbachev's uh, birthmark is the mark of the beast, or the UN is a one world government, or whatever. There, there's always a new iteration. In all this stuff. The thing no one ever talks about is the therefore element. That's actually, if you can do, that's literally the joke of Bible numerology, Jed, right? 
We're on our 333rd episode of the Bridge Podcast, halfway to perdition. But so, so what? So, so spooky. Feel spooked out. <laughs> I mean, that's that's it. There, there is no therefore. All of this stuff is about. I mean, it's like telling ghost stories right. around a, a campfire. The, the point is for you to feel weirded out. That's that's the whole idea. But there, there is no therefore. There is no answer to the question. So, I think I don't know this. This is conjecture. But I think there's a certain number of people who have been building a doomsday prepper property. That when they when it finally all breaks loose, they can just escape to their doomsday prepper property and just do that. That's what they want to do. John Goodman. But, that, <laughs> but as, aside from that, um, if you're following Jesus, um, the therefore is therefore you should keep loving people, just like Lee said. You should you should keep on being an example of of the love and and mercy and graciousness of Christ. I mean, I think it's a, a worthwhile thought experiment. If you knew that the world was going to end in ten years or in five years or in one Amen. year, what would actually be different about the living out of your faith? Right. I mean, yeah, you might make different financial decisions. You might, um, you know, uh, uh, worry less about this midterm project or something. I get that. But the living out of your faith, the way that you love people, what would actually be different there? Here's the one other thing, and it relates to this, that Lee's already touched on, but I think it's worth uh, revisiting. For all the people I've heard talk about uh, the end times and and the dragon rising out of the sea with the third beast with the seventh head, none of them ever talk about the fact that Jesus described Judgment Day in direct terms in Matthew 25. That's not just a call to carefully study these. He's literally describing the day of judgment. He's describing the end of all things. And he's saying the thing that I really am going to care about in that moment is how did you treat people? Yep. That is worth contemplating. After the talk about wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and natural disasters and probably very funky looking creatures rising from seas and skies and lava and stuff, after all that is, how did you treat people? That's right. And what's funny, and maybe I missed it, maybe it's in there, but whether it's Hal Lindsey or uh, insert noted apocalypse writer here, I've never heard any of them talk about that. I've never heard anyone talk about the the thing that God cares about is you loving people. And I think it's worth looking at if that's a change for you, um, if if loving people is not normally a part of your faith, now is a great moment to make that change, to make loving people really the cornerstone of the living out of your Christianity. But if that is a big part of your faith, and I think for the vast majority of people listening to this podcast, it already is, double down on that. One final quick bonus point, something we've had this question come up before at the bridge and something I'm going to steal from Glenn because it's a great answer is the fun. There are two fundamental themes to the book of Revelation. Theme one is God wins. That's a great theme. It's very important. Here's theme two. Be ready. Mm. That's theme two. If you want to sum up everything that Jesus says that the Bible says about the end of the world, God wins. Be ready. Being ready means go out and love the people that God has put in front of you. Go out and love the people that God cares about. Leave the beast with the seven heads to him. He can handle it. He can take care of it. Go love people. That's absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff from these guys. I'll throw one one minor little bonus point here that kind of ties together a lot of what they're saying. If you look at the, the very, very end of the Bible, the last statement in Revelation is, Come, Lord Jesus. If the end of the world stuff freaks you out, 
that makes sense. Um, it is certainly, uh, as Glenn is pointing out, it is the way it's being delivered is almost certainly engineered to freak you out. Um, it's worth looking at anything that stands between your attitude about any of this stuff and come Lord Jesus, because there's, yeah, there's fire and there's demons and whatever, but the, the end of the world means Jesus coming. So if, especially if there's someone who's a Christian who's trying to spook you with the second coming, that doesn't really hold up. Buy that's, my book. <laughs> that should that should kick off a little bit because they're trying to they're trying to tell you they're trying to sell you a Mad Max kind of post apocalyptic uh, situation and th- the drama and all the stuff that's inherent in that. Which again is why this pops up a lot. There's a lot of people it turns out there who are just really bored and want to think of a world where there's a you know an uprising that they have to deal with, um, but. As if you do these things these guys are talking about and do that and find a way to love people, you're not going to have that problem either. That's that's for darn sure. We're going to move on to our next question here. It says, I know in my brain that God loves me. I know he sent his son to die for me, and I've seen where he has taken care of me in the past. However, I have a hard time feeling that love in my heart. I tend to be a person who who feels love via physical touch, via such as holding my spouse's hand, hugging people, whatever. So it's very hard to feel God's love with him being a God that can't be touched. How can I make God's love for me feel more real than just a fact my brain knows? I think this is a great question because um, I think I speak for at least uh, the Chicago contingent of hosts here. So we may uh, differ from our question asker on the desire to be hugged, but uh, <laughs> there's the idea of the, the God's love. We want. I really like a question that says, I want that to be real. Yeah. And God kind of, I I believe it, if it, but it feels very ethereal. How do I uh-huh. go about making that something that's more something I can put my hands on? Well, I think uh, I'm reminded as I was reading that question of uh, I, I read uh, a, a part of uh, or, or sort of a, one of a, a series of uh, autobiographical books by the the actor Alan Arkin. And he uh, talked about his mother, and and he said his his mother would often say, "I can only I only believe in what I can wrap on with my knuckles, hmm. and I can bang on it with my knuckles and knock on it, and and hear it. That's that, uh, then I will believe in it." And that's just so freaking stupid <laughs> you oh, don't, I don't believe in magnetism that's you know you believe in magnetism you believe that's in, exactly what big magnet wants you to think look here's another thing beauty you can't just bang on it with your it's not like a scientific provable whatever you believe in beauty you believe in love you those are not physical things dude <laughs> this physical world is way more filled with illusions than anywhere else. I mean, it's just, it's, it, but we do get this. I mean, I, 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 you know, I think Alan Narkin's mother, bless her heart, had this viewpoint of herself that that's the most grounded and the most down to earth you could be is to have that viewpoint. And of course it is not. That's you, you are just dismissing entire elements of the human experience. Right. And then saying all of that stuff was not real. That's you've just made your world suck, dude. That's that's not a you're not more clued in and fulfilled as a person. So that's we're we're taking taking that right out. But here's the right way I think of looking at this. If you look at 
your being, we, we talked about this before, so it's three layers. you got body, mind, and spirit. But the way I'm trying to describe this is the mind is in between. Yeah. So whether it's from the physical side that you're experiencing these feelings or from the spiritual side that you're experiencing the, these feelings, it's all feelings-based and emotions-based and thoughts-based, stuff that's happening in that in-between part between your spirit and your body. So the idea that I'm only taking stuff from the physical side and only experiencing stuff from that really isn't how it works and isn't how we think of it. And we need to, I think, if I could put it uh, this way, um, in many respects, I think we have one foot in that spiritual world and one in the physical. You know, I have to deal with my physical self. I need food. I need uh Oxygen, you know, I I have to pay attention to my body and and deal with it and maintain it. Um, and I enjoy certain things. I like wearing this shirt. I like getting this hug. There's things. This food tastes good to me, even though I don't need to be eating it. What have you? Uh, there are things that I can physically enjoy, and I experience an emotional uh, release and enjoyment of that based on that physical experience. But then I have my other foot in that other world, that spiritual world, where I'm praying, I'm receiving a peace from God, love from God, joy from God, all these different things, wisdom and so forth. And I think part of what we need to do with, as Christians is lean more towards that spiritual side, to be less physical in our mindset, to, to, to see ourselves as spiritual beings, not physical beings, to see the spiritual world as for sure the ultimate reality and the physical world is the world that's filled with illusions it's filled with uh, uh, mirages and things that aren't true uh, and that my mind struggles to make sense of what is real and what is true and what's what it's really all about but i can only find that in the spiritual realm not in the physical realm so I'm not in any way. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with your mentality at all. I, to make that clear, and I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is a struggle. You you want to have a physical experience w- with God, uh, but the reality is you are being moved even now if you will let yourself in your spirit in a way that's deeper and truer than what you could have in a spiritual uh, interaction. That's really really sharp place to start that off. I love everything. Glenn is saying there, and Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here, because, again, I think we can look at something like a love language, that kind of stuff, that, that can, I personally think, can get a little overblown, but that is, there's certainly something certainly to say there is something you connect with on this, yeah. but it's not that necessarily being touched or someone giving you a gift makes you feel loved. That's not the interaction. There's something going on in the middle that you get out of that. Do we do better to kind of maybe analyze why certain things make us feel the way they do and then go looking for that? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's really good. I think one of the things that needs to be looked at to that exact point is some sensations get drowned out really easily. Uh, as an illustration, let's talk about ice cream for a second, both because it, it illustrates the point and also because I'm hungry and ice cream sounds delicious. So vanilla, a really good vanilla ice cream is just fantastic. If you prefer a really good vanilla gelato, it's it's fantastic. It's wonderful. Bellissimo. 
Absolutely. But here's the thing about vanilla. It's a really delicate flavor. I mean, really, really delicate. If you eat ice cream the way that most Americans do, you take a, you know, a vanilla and then you, you put hot fudge on there and a caramel. You put some nuts, put some maraschino cherries on there. And it's great. It's then awesome. you ram it into your gaping mall. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, how I eat it. But, <laughs> but now here's the key thing. I'm describing a hot fudge sundae. You're no longer tasting any vanilla at all. You're tasting all of the other things because they're much louder flavors. They're much stronger. They're much more powerful. The vanilla is still in there. I mean, in a sense, you're getting just as much vanilla, um, whether you have just a scoop of vanilla ice cream or a hot fudge sundae. But the way you experience it is totally different. Um, You experience it as there's no vanilla because it's getting drowned out. All right, let's let's bring this back to your your question for a second. I think that it is easy for any of us to have certain feelings that get drowned out really easily in our lives. It's not necessarily that we don't have them. It's not necessarily that we can't experience them, but they may speak more quietly in our hearts and in our minds than other feelings. They may speak more subtly in a more delicate way, like a nice vanilla, than other feelings and other sensations. You've heard us talk before about the idea of HALT meaning uh, it's an acronym for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are sensations that scream at you. It is almost impossible to ignore when you are hungry or when you are angry, when you are lonely, when you are tired. But there are all kinds of, even apart from from a a religious life and a spiritual life, there are all kinds of sensations and feelings that are good that are delicate that we that would be easy to get drowned out. Uh, think about feeling wistful. Um, it can be really pleasant to feel wistful. Anger is so much louder than feeling wistful. If you were a little bit wistful and then we made you angry, you might still be wistful, but you wouldn't be feeling any of it. You would you would only be paying attention to the anger. All right. So as a thought experiment is I bet there's non-spiritual stuff in your life, like non-spiritual activities that you know are good, but where the feelings can totally get drowned out. Uh, That could be, you know you will feel better if you go out for a nice walk, you know, and clear your head. But if you get to a certain place of exhaustion, a certain place of kind of discouragement, you know, a certain place of, 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 of anger for that matter, um, this walk, even though you technically know it is good and would be good for you and you'd be glad you did it, holds no appeal. There's just there there are no feelings in that moment lining up with it. And again, we've all experienced that. Every, everybody has their equivalent of that. Okay, well, if if our emotional state can do that with non-spiritual stuff, you know, like going for a walk, and, and none of us think there's something wrong with us in that moment. You know, none, none of us would say, well, I'm not emotionally connected with the fact that walking is good for me. I think there's something wrong with me. No, it's been a long week. It's, you know, what do you want? When we go all the way back to spiritual stuff, like you're describing, you want a greater sense of intimacy with the Lord. Um, your, your preference would be that that take the form of a physical touch, but I think what you're describing is a greater sense of intimacy with the Lord. That's a great thing to want. It's a delicate feeling. In a lot of ways, uh, the, the the voice of the Lord is a still small voice. It's easy to get drowned out. It's easy for worry and doubt and fear and anger and discouragement, all those things to drown it out. That doesn't mean it's not there, but it but it's easy for it in a sense to get overpowered. That doesn't mean you're in sin. 
I want to make that crystal clear. That doesn't mean that at all, but it does mean it gets drowned out. Here's though where I think we get the problem. If you can look at the idea of not wanting to go for a walk or your feelings not lining up with it and you don't judge yourself off of that, you're like, ah, it's been a long week and I'm a little annoyed about my car being in the shop. So I don't really feel like a walk. So what can I tell you? You're not judging yourself for that. But when the feelings get drowned out on the spiritual side, we have a way of being like, there must be something wrong with me and there must be something wrong with my walk. And maybe it's a secret sin in my life. So secret. I don't even know what it is. I think we've. We've we, we've all been tempted to have that feeling. We, we've all been, been tempted to go in that direction. If I could recommend one thing to you, and I don't know that I can give you necessarily the practical way to do this in your own life, because I think you have to uncover it. But if you're trying to get in touch with more delicate experiences, I think the thing that's before you is figuring out how do you create space to get in touch with those? How do you turn the volume down? You may not be able to do that in your life all day, every day. That would be pretty hard to do. That would kind of be like moving to a monastery. But how do you create pockets of your life? How do you create moments of your life? How do you create little windows where you can turn down the distraction level and you can turn down the noise level so that you're able to tune in to those more delicate experiences, to those stiller, quieter voices? I absolutely believe that the Lord wants to meet you in that, that he wants you to have that greater intimacy even more than you do. But I think that the road to it is figuring out how do you create those windows of respite and quiet where you can tune into that more easily? That's a, another excellent, excellent point. And Lee, I'd love to get you to, to, to close this out here. And I think an interesting way to look at this is I, when people see you know, things like God cannot be seen, cannot be felt, cannot be you know heard audibly and those kind of things, there's almost a way that we as Christians have a thinking, well, he really goofed that up. <laughs> like he forgot to finish making the thing. And this is like this big obstacle right. where we, maybe we, what was missing is wrestling with why did it, why is it that way? What, yeah. what is that? That's clearly on purpose because God does things on purpose. But what does that mean about the relationship he wants with us? That's such a great question. And I, the, and the way you're setting it up, it comes right off the back of everything that Jed is saying, which I, I just love the, the way that point landed. Um, I, I love the idea Number one, I think that a lot of Christians uh, place themselves under the kinds of expectations that, that Jed is highlighting that are you shouldn't expect that you're going to be able to hear the voice of the Lord all day, every day. That, that, was, such, that was just such a well-made point. Um, I love the idea of creating pockets where we create space for intimacy. That's the perfect word for this. Um, I was in a conversation with somebody um, a, a few months ago who said, Look, if this is a real relationship, then show up and talk to me. And I said, no, tough. That's not the way he's going to do it. He's invisible. You got to deal with that. And they were like, what? Like, and, and it was exactly to your point, Matt, of like, okay, was this a whiff? Did he, did, he, did he screw up that last piece? And exactly as you're setting up the question, there's something that he apparently likes about this invisible thing. When you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, which for folks that are kind of new to the scriptures, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are three chapters toward the beginning of the, the tale of kind of the ministry of Jesus, where he gives basically a sermon about what life is like in the new kingdom. Like, this is what, it, this is what it's like to live in this, this new kingdom I'm setting up. And the chapter in the middle of that little, of, of that sermon is all about this idea that 
God is interested in having a secret relationship with you. He he wants to set things up for you to serve him and um and pray to him and praise him and meet people's needs for him and that kind of stuff in ways that nobody else ever sees. In ways that you can't like brag about it, you can't talk about it, you can't like point the finger at yourself in any kind of way and say, this is what I did for the Lord. There's this relationship that he wants with every single one of us where he's calling us to stuff and he's leading us into stuff. And we do that stuff for him and nobody ever finds out about it. This is a really interesting thing that happened for me, which um, it, oddly enough, I had talked to Glenn about this when I first met Glenn years and years ago when I was still in college. And I didn't experience it until about 10 years ago. But um, I was invited to lead some music at a, uh, at a, at a chapel service in a county jail. And, um, and we went in there, and I realized quickly that, one, it was about the most electrifying thing I had ever done in my entire life. Uh, both musically, ministry-wise, uh, pure euphoria wise, it was just like I was levitating when I left that facility. And anybody that's done prison ministry will tell you that's exactly the way they felt. And then I had this odd feeling when we were on kind of the 30 minute drive back home, which was, I can't show anybody any pictures of this. Uh, I can't, <laughs> I can't really explain what I just did. I like, I just have to leave it there. And I had talked to Glenn about this before when when we first met and I was just, you know, kind of a kid in college and just starting in ministry and stuff like that. And and then and I remember him talking about stuff like that and then all of a sudden I'm like, "Dude, this is a bizarre situation." I could kind of tell the story of this ministry experience I had. Nobody could understand 1/100th of what it was. And then um, the more we started going back week after week after week, I had this moment where I was like, you know what? I'm just going to settle into that. This is my secret with the Lord. Um, nobody can understand it. I can't explain it to anybody on the outside of this. And, and the more I dig into the secretness of this, the more he gives me the secret. We have this like inside joke of like, We've got the world by the horns. This is the coolest thing ever, and nobody even knows it, and I'm just serving Jesus. I I think it's frustrating that Jesus is invisible sometimes. I think it's frustrating that you can't hear his voice. And then sometimes you do something that's just for him, that he called you into, and you don't tell a soul about it. You start cultivating that secret relationship, and man, I'm telling you, you will have feelings that follow that service that are unlike the feelings you have from any kind of hug, any kind of high five, any kind of handshake. And everybody that's on this podcast could tell you that they know exactly what I'm talking about. And and that's why I think Jesus says that right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. What he says is, to be perfectly clear, um, I'm not looking at it, so I may misquote it, but I believe that the really close to the words are, Beware of doing your acts of righteousness in front of people to be seen by them. Rather, do what you do in secret, and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And I can tell you with 100% 
testimony from my perspective, that is absolutely true. There is a reward that you get from cultivating that secret intimacy with the Lord that Jeb was talking about, where you just keep it secret. He's going to call you into stuff and you just do it and you don't tell anybody about it and you don't post about it and you don't anything, anything about it. And you and he have something that no one else knows anything about. And I promise you, it's a really cool deal. That is absolutely true. That's all fantastic stuff from all three of these guys. We're going to move on to our final question. It comes in anonymously and it says, my sister recently shared with me that she was in a same-sex relationship and has now gotten engaged to her female partner. Although she did become a Christian as a young person, I don't think she has an active relationship with Jesus now and don't think she would describe herself as a Christian. My question is, should I be going to the wedding? And if so, how involved should I be? I've heard different suggestions of what to do to not go as it would give the impression to the wider community of approving of same-sex marriage lifestyle or to go as it's important to show love regardless of my agreement with the situation. Any advice? And a fantastic question. And Jed, where would we kick this off? This is a beautiful question. We love you. We're praying for you. Because I'm still hungry, we're going to talk about grilling burgers for a second. All right. Now, the standard Christian approach to anything is to say, well, just do it right. Do it good. That's what we need to do in this and in all situations. It's a narrow door, Jed. (laughs) That's what that means. And if you screw up even a little bit, Jesus won't have anything to do with you, right? (laughs) Sure. Um, But in case that's not true... Um, oh, <laughs> a safe assumption. So living in an imperfect world, you're never going to do anything perfectly. You're never going to grill burgers perfectly. So one of the things that we want to do is we, we want to decide with ourselves, I'm not going to do this perfectly. That's thing number one. Given that, I want to decide in which direction should I err. I mean, I want to get it as close to just right as I can, but in which direction should I err? So if you're grilling burgers, you could say, well, I want to err a little bit undercooked, you know, because a little bit more flavor, a little bit juicier. So it feels like that's the direction I'm going to go. Or you could say, well, I want to err in the direction of a little too well done. That way I know no one's going to gr- get grossed out. No I got these be- burgers, the Piggly Wiggly. Let's give them a couple extra minutes. Exactly right. No one's going to get sick. So, you know, here's the thing. There's actually reasons to go in both directions. There's actually um, uh, compelling uh, uh, reasons for for both choices, but you do have to choose one. You can't err in both directions. You you can't err in the direction of keeping them nice and juicy and making sure no one gets sick at the same time. We we have to pick one because it's, you know, and I don't think Christians think that way very often, but it's actually, it's a really important skill as, as kind of a grown, mature person to recognize A, it's a complex situation that I am not going to do perfectly. On that basis, I need to decide in advance the direction in which I want to err, right? Mm. This is super, super important. And you can we can give you a couple examples here that, that you'll instantly know what I mean. If you're running a nuclear power plant, you should err on the side of safety. I mean, like, you should definitely really... We don't <laughs> want to shoot from the hip on the nuclear power plant. But sometimes you just really crank it. Nope. Here's a phrase you don't want to hear. We'll ballpark it. <laughs> yeah, no, we we want to be like super, super safe. Like people say, well, you know what? If we did this thing and make it a little bit safer, good. Let's do that thing. We want to err in the direction of more safe is more good. Okay. If you were running a food pantry, you would want to err on the side of generosity. You're like, I don't know if they really need that extra can of peas, but we're going to give it to them because we're a food pantry and that's what we do. 
The whole point is to be here to be generous. No one wants to go to a stingy food pantry. That's a terrible idea. You know, if, you, if you run a food pantry, you definitely want to err on the side of generosity. Uh, another way of thinking of this idea is when people, if people were going to badmouth you, they would say, well, he's too blank. You should decide the thing now that you want to be accused of being too much of. Mm. Right. So if you're a food pantry, you don't want clients to accuse you of being too stingy. That's a bad food pantry. What you want is uh, people who don't much care for food pantry saying they're too generous to people. That's the accusation (laughs) that you want. If you if you run a nuclear power plant, you want uh, other people in the government say they're too safety conscious over at the Brewer power plant. Yeah, they're just obsessed with not having a nuclear meltdown. Exactly, exactly. It's all Chernobyl. This three mile (laughs) that they're real downers over there at the Brewer plant. Exactly. So again, so now we're going to bring this back to you. In what direction should you err? Or to put it another way, what do you want people to accuse you of? You're not going to do this perfectly. I don't think perfect's actually on the uh, uh, up for for having. Someone's going to say, you know, she was too blank in the way that she handled this. What do you want people to accuse you of? Mm. I'm going to tell you what I would do. You should pray about it. You should do what the Lord leads me. I'm going to tell you what I would do. I want to be accused of being too welcoming. I want to be accused of being too inclusive. I want to be accused of celebrating people and their lives too readily and too much and too often. I want to be accused of those things. That's what I want. I want to err on the side of inclusion. I want to err on the side of welcome. I want to err on the side of celebrating people and celebrating their lives. And the reason why that would be my decision is that's exactly what Jesus did. They accused Mm. him of being a friend of sinners. That's right. They accused him of being a drunkard. They accused him of spending way too much time with the wrong crowd. I wasn't there, and this is uh, me very much creating a a fiction around the Bible, but I don't think it's outside to think that there may have been someone saying, you know, all those people think Jesus agrees with their lifestyles. I mean, it's not impossible. But what we know for sure is that they accused Jesus of being a drunkard and a friend of sinners. They accused him of being too welcoming and too inclusive and too celebratory, and too willing to hang out. If that was what Jesus chose, if that was the way he decided he was going to do this, that's what I'm going to do. You should make yeah. that decision for yourself. You should pray about it and do whatever the Lord leads you to do. But that's the way that I would encourage you. That's, those are the analytical tools that I would encourage you to use as you're making that decision. And it's a great point, and there's certain that is the way to start off in this whole thing. And Lee, where would you take us from here? Um, I agree with everything Jed just said. One of the things that I would also add into the decision-making process is I, I would love for us to zoom out and ask the question, what what do we all think we're saying when we go to a wedding? Um, do we think that showing up at a wedding means that we know everything about this relationship and we are signing off on every part of it and we think it's <laughs> everything about this is utterly amazing? Is that what we're saying? Of course not. What I say when I go to a wedding? <laughs> of course not. We're saying, uh, you know, uh, most of the time we're saying I was invited to a wedding. Exactly. I, we're saying, look, uh, if you guys say so. Uh, I mean, sometimes I'm literally saying that when I go to a wedding. Like I was I hoping know. there'd be cake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how? 
I'm looking for the first guy to unnotch his tie. And then I'm like, okay, I get to do that now. You know, I, I, all that to say, like, there's, there's a, uh, I think that we all get a little up, too uptight about what is it that we're all publicly saying when we show up at a celebration. Um, what I'm typically saying is exactly what Matt's saying. I was asked to come here because I love somebody that is excited about a huge day in their life. Um, they are in a place where their country, the government of their country, whatever, has decided this is a legal thing. Um, that's been passed. It's legislated. It's decided that that's over now. We don't need to argue that or him and haw about that whole thing. What I'm saying is, I love these people. I'm pulling for them. Um, I, I'm not dis. I'm not making any spiritual stands. Either way, I mean, when you go to the wedding of a uh, of a heterosexual couple that you know, uh, are you making a spiritual stand that this is the most amazing Jesus centered marriage that you've you know relationship that you've ever seen in your life? Of course not. They ask you to come to the wedding. You love them. You celebrate them. You hope for the best. Um, you're. I'm not being asked to be the arbiter. I'm not being asked to officiate. I'm not being asked to to do their premarital counseling. I'm simply being asked to come and and celebrate. Um, I would extremely super go to that wedding, and um and, and on that basis, that I, I I don't think that we are being asked to make the kinds of huge calls that we're that we sometimes think we are. Um, that being said, I do want to I do want to circle back to where Jed began, which is. I I appreciate that you're in a difficult situation and that people have a lot of opinions about this. Um, but I love the way that Jed framed it. And I would encourage you to think about the heart of Jesus in this and say, you know what? I'm being invited to a party. I think about the wedding at Cana and the, the, the young couple that ran out of wine. Um, the only thing that we know about this young couple is that they're bad planners. Uh, they were probably <laughs> kids. Um, they probably didn't know a lot about marriage. They probably didn't know a lot about relationships. It probably wasn't a spiritually perfect match. Um, but Jesus showed up. We know that they were two sinners. Um, you know, I, that, that's an interesting thing for us who are in, you know, in, in, for those of us who are in ministry, we, we are not people who are being called to take sides all the time. We are people who are being called to serve sinners. I stole that line from somebody. and. Uh, um, and and I'm just gonna say that, but but that's that's our role. We we are we are not always being asked to uh, to to make some big stand. But in this situation, we're being asked to party. Let's go party. Indeed, a, a lovely t- place to take that. And Glenn, I love everything these guys are laying down. What would you add to what we've already said here? Well, it, we do actually get this kind of question quite a little bit, and. Um, uh, it, you know, I part of what I want to to address here because these other guys have covered a lot of great ground. Let's look at this though. What are we worried about with this? Because uh, we have a worry here. Let's let's. Where is it directed? Are we worried about the theology of this? Because uh, theology isn't a person and has no opinion, uh, so we can't be worried about what theology thinks. Uh, also, uh, we have a living faith. It's not just a series of words written on a page. It's algorithm be praised. Praise <laughs> the algorithm. Right. You know, we, we have a living God we can go to. As Jed said, this is a complex situation. We go to him. 
and asked for direction. Are we worried about what Jesus would think? And as Judd said, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. I'm wondering why we wouldn't be worried about Jesus being against the fact that we are, like, aren't we worried he'd be upset that we aren't called friends of sinners? Hello. Come on. So I, I don't know why the pressure isn't going the other way with, with if you're worried about what Jesus thinks in particular. Um, are you worried about what other Christians think about the situation? Am I getting warmer here? Am I getting close to the nerve? Because, again, they may be making certain mistakes, and they want you to make the same mistakes so they have some company. One of us. Yeah, don't do that. Always be a friend of sinners. And Jesus had that same decision over and over again. Do I make the religious people happy, or do I side with the people who are messing up and are lost and are hurting and all of that? He always, always, always chose the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, if you're worried about what Christians are thinking, that's not really following the example of Scripture either. Uh, there's a point where you're unnecessarily offending Christians or something like that, but we're, you know, uh, uh, trying to appease them in this situation doesn't make sense. Or are we concerned about what your sister thinks? And I think it kind of makes more sense to be worried about what your sister thinks. She's the, the person in question here. She's your family. You love your sister. This is her special day. I don't, see any benefit from any benefit to the kingdom of you just crapping on that so that's if we're worried about what she thinks and i think that's a fine place to start uh we we're not thinking of any of these kind of things uh here's the thing uh we have this mentality i have to stick up for the truth i got it wherever i go i have to tell people everything i'm against it makes no sense. I mean, like, if you're going to walk around with, like, a sandwich board of all the things you're sure. against. And apparently it starts with gay marriage, but, you know, like, poverty, you know, untreated illnesses. Greed. Greed. You know, none of that's on the list. You know, you're, you're not stipulating that everywhere you go. You, you, this is a garden party filled with a bunch of greedy people. And you're, you know, you're, you appear to be one of them. So you're not worried about the, the impact of that. So... You know, th- this is kind of very uh, taking uh, homosexuality and make it massively outsized and and just eclipsing all other considerations in a way that's not at all biblical. But it's important for you to understand this. If you forget everything else I'm telling you today, focus on the sound of my voice. When you lose your witness, you have lost everything. Yeah, mm. It's important for you to have a, a clear sense of that. Because what you're saying is, yeah, but I got to stick up for the truth. And if I lose my witness, hey, man, that's just what happens. You can't fault me for it because I said a true thing. No, the witness is the ultimate, ultimate thing. But if we want to look at the truth part, let's look at the truth part. Let's say that's the important thing. What is the ultimate truth that you must, no matter what, stand up for? The ultimate truth. There's a lot of things that, you know, the, a lot of true things about this situation. As Jed said, it's complicated. But what's the ultimate truth? The ultimate truth is God loves you and he will not reject you, no matter what you've done before today. The ultimate truth is there is room at the foot of the cross for you right now. Mm. And you are meant to model 
God is not rejecting you. You're meant to model that. If you reject your sister and everything that's going on with her, you are literally working against the truth. You're not standing on truth. You're, you're perpetrating a lie that God's heart just isn't towards people that are struggling to figure their, their situation out and maybe going their own way, maybe not listening to him or whatever. Go to your sister's wedding, love her, support her, encourage her. There's something that kind of tweaks your conscience there. It just feels like maybe this isn't there's some element of the service or something like that. They burn and desecrate a cross or something like that, which won't happen, but just imagining the most extreme possible examples. You can you can tell your sister, okay, I love you, I respect you, I maybe won't set the cross on fire with you, but you know, I will be there at the reception and I will bring a nice blender and you and your new <laughs> uh, 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 person, your partner can do smoothies and God bless you. You know, that is a thing you absolutely can do. And people right. will understand you're trying to work with that situation and showing that love. I think that's absolutely right. These guys have all given you really Really great stuff on what is a complicated situation. Again, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, skip over that. If it sounds like we have some some opinions locked and loaded on this, it is because this is exactly the kind of thing we talk to people about a lot that we have yeah. to think about for ourselves. Situations we've kind of been in. To me, it does go back to where Jed started. Of how do you want this to be characterized? And again, as, as Lennon Lear described there, there can be a lot of fear, and particularly if you're a young person, if this is all new to you this idea that you are representing something that you are, there's going to be a narrative about this. that's going to run away without you. And the way you avoid that is by having control of that narrative and mm. you get to decide what you want that to be and who you want the audience for that to be as, as Glenn is pointing out. Another way to look at this might be, are there people in your life who are not Christian who may someday consider becoming Christian people you're friends with people, your other people you're related to. What is the more powerful story? Which God do they want to be involved with? I love this Jesus of Nazareth, this God come to earth. And because of my great love for him, I totally skipped on my sister's wedding because I was judging who she was marrying. Right. Or so great is the love that God has put in my heart that even though I'm a little confused and I don't really know where I stand on this and there's a lot going, I know that I love my sister and I went and I was there because I believe what God wants me to do is to do my best to love people in a messy situation. And this is what I had in this messy situation. I think when you break it down in terms like that, telling that story to someone, do we go all the way back where Jess starts? We're not trying to tell you what to do. We want you to pray up it's, and, and do what's best for you. We obviously have a thought of what this would be if it was us. But if you look at I love Glenn's idea of a witness. When you really think of what that means, someone who's looking at this from the outside, what 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 is the choice you make going to look like? And I think that will be a good way to help you move on to make that choice. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com if you want to keep that anonymous. We're going to tell you the song this week. This ties into our first question because you may or may not know that the uh, song Joy to the World was not originally written as a Christmas song. Originally written about the second coming which some of us feel may be nigh. And our friends at the Bridge Loud put together a little version of that for our January edition of Bridgebox. Take it out that. Nice. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast. Just wondering what Bible numerology, Jed, will think of episode 666. Well, hello. <laughs> <laughs>
came upon them The glory of the Lord swore round about them They were so afraid So afraid Men, women, and children. Amen. Amen.